Well, that's it. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you tonight that we can come and uh, hear you speak to us, to praise you, and I pray that uh, the words of my mouth glorify you, edify your people. I pray that you just give the words to me that you want me to speak. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So tonight I want to talk about yielding so we can yield. This, the idea of this came to me uh, one day as I was out at Shelby Lake during one of my lunch break one day, and uh, I was just watching leaves fall into the water, and I noticed there was three types of leaves that were falling. Um, there was totally flat leaves that would fall and hit the water, and the water would just come right over them, and they'd sink right away. Then there was kind of wavy leaves that would come down, and they'd sit in the water for a little bit, and then they'd also sink. And then there was a third kind that was a totally curled up leaf that was totally molded into like a boat that would land on the water, and it would stay there. And the wind would push it to the shore or whatever, but it would not sink. It's a simple analogy and kind of cheesy, I guess, but um, it got me to thinking, you know, that's kind of like us. We can be a flat leaf where we just fall down in life's troubles and trials and totally sink because we're not yielded or molded by God you know, into what he wants us to be. Or we can be a wavy leaf that's maybe halfway yielded, you know, halfway molded into a boat. And you last a little while, and then we sink also. Or you can be like a totally curled leaf that's totally submitted and yielded to God's uh, shaping. And you will float when the trials and troubles of life come. Um, well, that all came to me a week before John asked me to <laughs> talk, which was a couple months ago. It was back in the fall, and um, you know, my first reaction was like, are you kidding me? That's the worst fear I've had since I've been a teenager in this church. <laughs> Somebody would ask me to preach. Like, oh, man. But you know, after thinking about it a while, I thought, you know what? If God has put that into John's heart to ask me, you know, he can give me the words that I need to speak, and he can take care of things for me. So after a few days, I said, I guess I will. So here we are. <clears throat> Um, you know, this is really something that God has been teaching me for a while. Um, I didn't really actually catch on to it that he was teaching me that until a couple of years ago when my boss said that I should probably start looking for another job because he was going to retire soon. So right away, you know, you think, oh, man, I've got a family to feed. I've got bills to pay. You know, I can't do this. I feel like I'm, you know, barely making it right now. How am I going to make it on my own? So, you know, I had three options. Um, You know, either buy the engineering company that I worked with, which that was not an option. (laughs) Number two, find a job somewhere else. Um, I tried to brush up my resume and send it out a couple places, and I didn't receive anything back from anybody there, so... That left me with a third option, you know, go on my own. And, you know, that obviously seemed the most unknown and hard and 
um, scary to me, but that seemed like the way God was leading me, so I jumped in. Um, you know, ever since then, I can see God working every step, every everything I did, you know, following what I thought was what he wanted me to do. Um, he's just opened the windows of blessings like I, I couldn't have imagined. <clears throat> so that was, uh, I guess, about two years ago when I started that. And if I've learned anything, it's when God opens the door, you walk through it. And no matter what it looks like, you know, he's going to make it work. And the opposite, too, if he closes the door, don't go trying to beat it down because <clears throat> that's never going to work. <clears throat> so we're talking about yielding. Uh, when we think of yielding, we think, you know, maybe a yield sign or stepping aside so another guy can pass or, you know, somebody not offering resistance to a ruler. Um, Webster's Dictionary says yield means this. To surrender or relinquish to the physical control of another, or hand over possession of, to surrender or submit to another, to give place or precedence, acknowledge the superiority of someone else. That sounds a lot like our relationship to God, doesn't it? Or how it should be. <clears throat> and it sounds simple, but we all know that's not the case when you get down to it. The Bible defines it in uh, Romans 6. Let's go ahead and turn there. Romans chapter 6. And starting in verse 12. So it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you, not, you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto unrighteousness or unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as you have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness and to holiness." So back in verse verse 16, he says, what you yield yourself to is what you're a servant to. So that, that's what it means to be a, or to yield, is to serve. <clears throat> and we have to ask ourselves, are we a servant of God or are we a servant of ourselves and our ways? We have to yield to God's shaping of our heart so we're ready for the next thing he brings. Uh, whether it's a trial or test or even blessings, you know, we won't be ready for that unless we keep yielding as we go along to his work in our life. <clears throat> and all, all this comes down to trusting him as God, our Father, and knowing what's best for us. I'd like to talk about 
uh, three things or three areas we need to trust him uh, in order for us to yield to him. Uh, the first one, we have to trust that his power is in us, you know, in order for us to yield to him. I mean, when we think yielding to him, a lot of times we think, well, I can't do that. I can't do what he wants me to do. But he's got some some words for us on that. Now let's go to Second Peter 1, <clears throat> verses 3 and 4. We've all heard this many times, but it's truth. Second Peter one chapter or Second Peter chapter one verses three and four. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So his divine power, his power, not our power, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That includes yielding, yielding to him, that by these we might be partakers you know, of the divine nature. And also, I'd like to look at Ephesians 2 also. Uh, verses 1 to 10, verses actually starting in verses, well, verse 1 to 3. It talks about, and you, you know, what we are without his power. And then verses 4 to 10 talks about, or starts out with, but God, and talks about what we are with his power. So starting uh, Ephesians 2, verses, verse 1. And you has he quickened who were dead in trespasses, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, a spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is, so we're talking about God and his power in us now, <clears throat> who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So verses 1 to 3, where it's talking about and you, you know, what we are without his power, talks about us walking like the world, you know, in disobedience to God, fulfilling our own lusts and desires, you know, children of wrath. But with his power, it talks about we're alive with Christ, we're sitting with him in heavenly places, his grace is in our lives, and we're created to walk in good works. So we have to trust that his power, first of all, is in us, that we can yield to what he wants to do in our life. And secondly, we have to trust that he has your good as the purpose throughout the testing. Um, we all know Romans 8:28. you know, all things work together for good to them that love God. 
um, he mentions good in there, and you know, our good. And I know a lot of us, we always assume we know what his good is, or we know what our good is, so we assume that's what his good is. We tend to think that if we surrender all to him, it's going to be a life of boring dreariness. You know, it's not going to be exciting. It's it's going to take everything away that we want. But that's not true. Anybody that has you know yielded to God knows that he replaces that with a fulfillment and a peace and um, just a fulfillment in him that satisfies you know way more than the fun that you would have otherwise. And the real reward, though, is the work that he does in your heart, <clears throat> making us more like him. Uh, Romans 10, verse 3, let's go there, talks about people who are ignorant of God's righteousness, that don't want his righteousness. <clears throat> Romans 10, starting in verse 3. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So that's talking about somebody who actually don't even know God's righteousness to start out with. And so they want their own righteousness, which is us thinking we know what's best for us, and have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Um, there's another another verse while we're on this. I um, mean, Isaiah 29. If you'd go there, and this verse, at first not looking at it, I I thought, what does that mean? So I I looked at the side margin. It had some things in there, and then I also looked up in a commentary, and it made a whole lot more sense. <clears throat> Okay, Isaiah 29, verse 16. says, Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he had no understanding? Turning of things upside down, what does that mean? Um, but in the side margin it says, another way of saying it is, you have things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? You know, are we calling God the one who needs to be changed, not us? <clears throat> and then Barnes, in his commentary, he says this about it. He says, the sense of the passage seems to be this. Your changing of things is just as absurd as it would be for the thing formed to say him that for, uh, to say it to him that formed it. Why have you made me thus? It is absurd for you to find fault with the government of God, as it would be for the clay to complain of want of skill in the potter. All this supposes that God is destitute of wisdom and cannot see what is done, and it is just as absurd as it would be in the clay to complain that the potter who fashions it has no understanding. I mean, is that what we're saying to God when we don't yield to him? I mean, are we saying, you don't know what's good for me. I can't do that. You know. Well, first we're saying we don't have his power in us, and secondly we're saying, yeah, I don't think you know what's best for me. Um, another example of this is I'm sure all of us have kids that don't eat. Raise your hand. 
At least not the first time you tell them to. And you tell them, you know, you have to eat to be strong and to grow. And so you're, you still have to force them and sometimes you have to spank them, whatever you have to do, you know. And are we like that with God? He tells us, I want you to obey me and you'll be strong and you'll grow. You know, obey me in the trials and they'll make you stronger if you trust me. Or, you know, do we have to be prodded and pushed every step of the way instead of us, you know, willingly following him? He told us what we need to do to grow and be strong. So obey him. And thirdly, about trusting, we have to trust that he will not give us more than through his grace we can handle. Um, 1 Corinthians 10.13 There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Right there, I mean, he's going to take care of us. He's not going to take us beyond what we can handle. and He's going to provide for us. You know, thankfully, God made us to grow through a process, not all at one time. Um, kind of like a runner preparing for a race. I know a couple of us in here and me and some of my boys did a race a couple of weeks ago. And you might be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't, how slow you can run when you haven't run. You sat in an office chair for 12 years. <laughs> but, I mean, it does work. Uh after exercising and you know running a little bit and kind of slow, I mean even my six-year-old would keep up with me at first. But um, you know after a few weeks of exercising, you could run faster and run longer. Um, I mean it's just like that with us and God. He puts smaller tests and trials in our way, we pass those. He puts a little bit bigger ones, and then we pass those. And you know until we're faithful even in the large um, tests and tasks He gives us. Um, Israel in Isaiah 40 let's go ahead and turn to that since we're pretty close to it anyway Uh, 40 starting in verse 27 why sayest thou Jacob and speakest O Israel my way is hid from the Lord and my judgment is passed over from my God Have you not known, have you not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, faints not, neither is weary, neither is, or there is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. So Israel's saying, my way is hid from the Lord. He doesn't know what's going on in my life. He, he doesn't know how hard it is. But he does. He says there is no searching of his understanding. He knows. He knows exactly what we need. And he will take care of us. He'll supply it. He'll supply anything we need, when, where, and how we need it. Um, I'd like to look at a couple of examples of people who do or do not yield to God. 
or did or did not yield to God. Um, let's go to Matthew 7. About the builders on the rock and the sand. Verse 26 says, And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So this is like us hearing what God wants us to do and not yielding to it. We don't do it. And obviously the result is a flat house or a life that's destroyed. Now Saul was a good example of this. In 1 Samuel 13, sorry, I'm having everybody turn to so many pages, but uh, I feel like the Word gives us what we need and says it perfectly. 1 Samuel 13 Starting in verse 5. It's a story about when Samuel offered the sacrifice before, I'm sorry, Saul offered the sacrifice before Samuel came. All right, uh, chapter 13, verse 5. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the sea shore in multitude. They came up and pitched in Michmash, eastward from Methaven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews even went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. So from that, it sounds like he's got all kinds of excuses why he shouldn't obey. Or, But we know that's not the... Not true. So he tarried seven days, according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, (laughs) behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you came not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. See, he's making all of his excuses here. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and, ha- and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom upon Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be captain over his people, because you have not kept that which the Lord commanded you. So he kind of obeyed the Lord. He offered the sacrifice, but it wasn't according to how he was supposed to do it, or he wasn't at the time. You know, Samuel was supposed to do it. There was supposed to be a sacrifice made, but not like that. 
And then we all know he did the same thing. He was re- received specific instruction to ins- destroy all the Amalekites, all their things, all their people, everything. But then again, he does only a half job. He's one of those wavy leaves. You know, he yielded to do part of God's commands, but not the whole thing. And because of these things, he was rejected from being king. And the interesting thing is, you know, his decisions to not obey affected not only him, but the whole nation of Israel. He caused them all to go into sin. Now let's go back to uh, Matthew 7. And we'll read the, start with the good examples here. So therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. So just by hearing and doing God's word, that founds us on a rock. We won't sink. You know, we'll be taken care of. So there's, there's lots of examples in the Old Testament of people that did obey to God under extreme circumstances. Uh, we know Abraham, you know, he had to sacrifice his own son when God had told him to. And all these things, I mean, there's all kinds of um, excuses somebody can make. Why, I mean, this is too hard. This is, I mean, this is unreasonable. You know, how in the world am I supposed to do that? But Abraham, who communed with God all the time, he knew God would be faithful you know, so he yielded to God's command to sacrifice Isaac. And then also Jacob. You know, he was forced to serve another seven years to marry Rachel. And he could have said, I mean, you're crazy. I'm getting my wife and getting out of here. But he, once again, he yielded to God's trial or test that he put in his way. And God blessed him. All that seven years, he was blessed abundantly with, you know, all his the animals and uh, possessions. And then the, the best example, or the one that I, I feel like really speaks to me a lot, is Joseph. I mean, he had circumstance after circumstance that would have said, man, just throw in the towel and forget this, you know. But he stayed with it. You know, he was the brunt of his brother's teasing because of his dreams. And then he was thrown in a pit. Then he was taken by slave traders, became a slave. And then he was thrown into prison by his master. I mean, it's just like it gets worse and worse. And then when he's in prison, you know, the people he helps forget about him. And, but God used all that to bring him to where he wanted him to be, ruler of Egypt. You know, savior of, or not savior, but one to help save his people. Um, in Genesis 50, Joseph said to his brothers, You thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day. To save much people, so that's that's the attitude Joseph had. You know, he didn't look at it, man. This was horrible and this was rough, and you know, I didn't like it at all. He said, "God meant it for good." 
<clears throat> and these, like like Saul, they not only received blessing from God for being obedient, but they affected whole nations for their obedience also. So what about us? You know, how does our yielding affect other people? Um, you know, if we do or we don't yield to God, how does that affect, say, our families or other people in the church? Um, some examples would be, you know, a husband or father who makes wise or foolish financial decisions. You know, his family suffer or are blessed with him. Um, you know, a mother with her children. I'm not going to go there too hard. <laughs> but everybody, I mean, all mothers know how it is. Um decisions you make and how you are obedient to God affects how your children are too. Um, people we work with, your testimony of obedience to God, that that can affect them for good or bad. <clears throat> and, you know, our brothers and sisters in the church, um, you know, maybe you have unforgiveness in your heart towards someone or you've done something towards someone that you just don't want to go ask forgiveness and apologize. Um, personally, that's one of the hardest things I've had to do. You know, I've had to do that once or twice and or more than that. Um, in one example, I was in a prayer meeting actually here and it just came into my mind that, you know, you... You have unforgiveness for that person, and you've done wrong to that person also, so you need to go and ask them to forgive you. I'm like, wow, they don't even know what, they wouldn't even know what I'm talking about. You know, but that just kept drilling in my head, and I feel like, you know, here God's going to do something to me, or (laughs) if I don't go talk to them, you know, it's not going to be good. So I actually had to get up in the prayer meeting and tap them on the shoulder and, you know, tell them, what I had done and, you know, asked for their forgiveness. But, you know, I think God rewarded that because I had total peace after that. You know, I knew I had done what God wanted me to do. If I hadn't done that, I would still have wrong thoughts in my heart towards that person, and they, you know, could have wrong towards me too, and we'd both be hurting. I think... Actually, that's one of the primary things God uses to form us is people. And a lot of times it's people in the church. You know, um, he puts us in a church. I think that's one of the big reasons he puts us in a church for. Uh, When you're around the same people for a while, you rub against somebody or they rub against you, and you've got to deal with it somehow, you know, according to how God wants you to or or you do it how you want to, and you know it's going to go wrong. Uh, if you can, if we can see it as God, as part of God's refining process in us, I think we'd probably look at our relationships maybe a lot more. I don't know carefully. Um, so I think I think we need to do that. <clears throat> and another thing, um, you know, kind of speaking to the young people. I feel like when you're young, you don't really realize that choices that you're making, um, seemingly insignificant choices that you're making, are decisions that affect the rest of your life. 
Um, take friends, for example. I, I feel like um, I've seen more young people fall because of friends they've chosen and you know, people they hang out more than maybe anything else. <clears throat> and what about how you spend your free time? You know, are you playing video games or are you helping other people out? Or you know, what are you doing with your time as a young person? Um, how do you work? Are you diligent or are you lazy or do you even work at all? Um, you know, how do you respect or disrespect authority in your life? Um, you know, all these things are habit-forming. Uh, what you do when you're young will probably be pretty close to what you're doing when you're older. Um, J.R. Miller, a Christian author, had this quote. He said, We shrink from suffering, from sacrifice, from struggle. You know, perhaps these are the very experiences which will do the most for us, which will bring out in us the best possibilities of our natures, which will fit us for the largest service to God and man. Um, yeah, that's that's the temptation all the time, is to just, man, that's going to be too hard. I'm just going to not do it. But a lot of times, you know, that's God's way of forming us. We don't like change. So our title was Yielding So That We Can Yield. The second definition of yield means to be fruitful or productive. So if we want to be fruitful like God requires us to be, we have to yield to him first. Um, let's turn to Isaiah 32. Isaiah seems like a bunch of prophecies and stuff that doesn't apply sometimes, but I don't know, when you really get down into it, there's a lot a lot of verses in there that really apply to our living. Um, Isaiah 32, verse 17. And the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness quietness and assurance forever. That's what I want right there. Peace, quietness, assurance. I mean, a man who has that has a lot. <clears throat> but the work of righteousness has to take for, take place first. Um, uh, in, in conclusion now, um, I was driving down through the night down to Florida, down to Rob and Ellie's wedding. So I got a, one of those audio books on my phone and was listening to um, God Smuggler, who's Andrew Murray. Um, he was, took Bibles behind the communist lines in um, Yugoslavia and Russia and some of those Iron Curtain countries. And this, this particular time, he was at a border checkpoint waiting to get in. Um, he had Bibles all stacked in his car everywhere. everywhere and um, you know, He's waiting at the checkpoint while everybody else got their cars searched in front of him. And it, the car in front of him took over an hour. They were taking his engine apart. They were taking his hubcaps off, you know, just looking for anything that was smuggled into there. And so Andrew, he's like, you know, there's no way I'm going to get through this without them finding all this stuff <clears throat> that I've got stashed in my car. 
yellow Volkswagen, and he had luggage, and it was just stashed everywhere in the car and in his luggage. And, you know, as he's thinking about it, sitting there, you know, he, he knew that no amount of cleverness on his part was going to do anything. So, you know, like we're supposed to do when we come to a trial, he said, Lord, you're going to have to totally do it because I'm, I'm out of this equation. So he took several Bibles from their hiding places and just put it right on the seat beside him, just totally out in the open. And when it finally came his turn to be inspected, he began to open his door to get out, you know, because he, he was expecting just what everybody else got. The guard put his knee against the door and, you know, kept it shut, looked at his papers and waved him on. And so he's like, okay, like he's inching forward and, you know, ready to, you know, go where they tell him to pull off or whatever, but nothing. So he just kept on going and he, as he looked in his rear, or he slowly walked off, or not walked off, drove off in disbelief. He looked in his rear mirror to see the guy behind him doing the same thing, opening his hood and, you know, taking everything apart. But, you know, God had gotten him through there in less than 30 seconds where the people in front of him had been, you know, an hour or something. Um, you know, it just goes to show God's faithfulness when we totally trust him. I, I just, I appreciate that about the story because he was willing to put, well, he knew God had called him to do that, first of all. And he was willing to just totally trust him. I mean, I'm totally out. You've got to do it. Um, that's the way we've got to be, you know, we've got to obey and trust his guidance. You know, there's always going to be excuses and reasons for us not to obey. But um, if we will yield to his way fully, he will take care of us. We know that. I know all of us have experienced times when we've obeyed him and he has come through for us. And each time we do that, we grow. You know, and we trust him more and more because we know that he will. He'll take care of us. And he knows you know, what it'll take to get us to trust him more and to be fruitful. So, to yield to him, we must remember that we can do it because he's got his power in us. And he knows what our good is. He's always got that in his mind. It's not for our hurt or our harm when he puts us through trials or tests. Um, and he won't give us more than we can handle. Thank the Lord. <laughs> so that's that's what I've got tonight. Um, let's go ahead and pray. Father, I, I thank you that no matter what you call us to do or what you allow us to go through, you've got our back. Uh, you take care of us. I pray that you'd help us to trust you fully, trust you in everything, and grow in our trust towards you. Just thank you for this, and pray that you'd give us a safe travel on our way home tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, I think John will be back this weekend. How's it going, John? (laughs) He's down in Florida, and... um, Sounds like they're having a good time, so. Well, you want to stand up? I get to pick what everybody says, I guess. Never done that before.
Let's go ahead and say, I uh, will yield to God and He will help me. You are dismissed. <laughs>